0: Hello and welcome to the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am Jay and once again I am joined by Eddie. Hello. And today we are looking at an absolute classic on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Zelda A Link to the Past, which is number six in the Retro Gamers list of games to play before you die. So, you reckon we'll get enough out of this?
1: We'll give it a go. I mean, it can't be worse than Portal.
0: Exactly, that's the motto we live by. We've also got some some pretty interesting news at the end of this episode, which Eddie doesn't know about. So I'm looking I'm looking at his face now, and he's looking puzzled. So that'll be something for you to look forward to, so make sure you stay tuned to the end of this to find out what that is. But yeah, let's get back to A Link to the Past. So Super Nintendo released in 1991. Didn't realise it was as far back as that. And yeah, this was the, the first foray into better graphics for Zelda, wasn't it, after the the ones that had come out on, on the NES, which didn't look terrible, but when you look at this in comparison, it's night and day, isn't it?
1: Yeah, um, and it sort of sets the template for all future 2D Zeldas, really. Um, they've all got this isometric, top-down look, and the normally I'm not a massive fan of 32-bit art style because it's all a bit smushed and a little bit, I think the best way to put it is crunchy. It, it's weird. Some like 32-bit art style doesn't work very well, but for some reason, this world and the sprites and stuff like that, and even the animation, is so smooth, and it's it just has a certain amount of vibrancy. Even when you're in the dark world, there is, there is a lot of life to the game, despite the fact that there aren't that many NPCs in the game, really.
0: No yeah it's uh, saying it's night and day is a, a good analogy for the game really because you end up with the nice happy normal world don't you and then you can transfer into the the dark world which is this I suppose is that the link to the past that it's describing is the dark world meant to be in the
1: past because I didn't think um, it was but no I've never quite understood and I've I've not I mean, I've delved quite a bit into certain aspects of what is loosely termed the canon for Zelda, but it's around the titles that I properly got into, like Majora's and Ocarina and stuff like that. But I've never fully understood what the link to the past was, because I know they're all supposed to... It's not the first game chronologically in the Zelda series, because that's Skyward Sword. And then there is a lot of... Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, flappery when it comes to the Zelda canon. It splits essentially it, at around about Ocarina. So you get sort of like a disjointed history after that. It sort of gets like a multiversal aspect to it. And this one is supposed to be the first game chronologically in the defeated hero timeline. So in Ocarina, you either get the result where Link is victorious against Ganondorf. And he goes on and there's Majora and stuff like um, Twilight Princess and uh, Wind Waker. And then in this separate timeline, you get the defeated hero where Link can't beat Ganondorf. Ganondorf kills Link and then history sort of repeats itself in cycles in the Zelda series. So each Link within the Zelda games is not the same Link necessarily. He is just a hero that is reborn throughout the ages to combat evil and yeah so a link to the past is supposed to be the first game in the defeated hero side of the saga
0: because the the sort of sequel i mean i suppose it is a link between worlds is a direct sequel to this game isn't it and that makes sense it is a link between worlds because you go into the painted world and go through cracks into a a different version of the world don't you but to the past i don't get unless the Dark World is meant to be in the past, and I've just always missed that. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't allude to it. It's just meant to be like a nightmarish version of the the nice version of the world, isn't it?
1: Yeah, from what I got from it anyway, it's the Sacred Realm in Ocarina, where the gods live and the fairies come from and stuff like that. And then you get the Shadow version of that, which is where dark entities like Ganon would ultimately reside. And I kind of got the feeling that that was what the dark world was in this game. It's like a portal to where all the moblins come from and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And it's it it's
0: a well-crafted story to say that, it, like you said, there's not many NPCs, there's not an awful lot of dialogue in the game, but it does make sense. the The brief explanations of how you transfer into the other realm and all this and what you're doing, Is it an owl that keeps giving you information when you get to certain places? So you get this storytelling owl that I think he pops up a little bit in Ocarina, doesn't he? Although not as much. Mm -hmm. And this is how you get your exposition of what's going on and what you need to do. For me, when I played it initially, I didn't play it when it first came out, but I played it fairly early on, probably like late 90s. And for me, it had a massive difficulty curve. The regular world incredibly easy. As soon as you transition into that dark world, you get absolutely battered by everything. And there's not really any... There are... You do get incremental power-ups, don't you? So you get more heart containers, you'll get the Pegasus boots, you'll get... Is it the, uh, the Giant's Glove so you can pick boulders up and all that kind of thing? But in terms of actual combat, apart from a couple of sword upgrades and boomerang and arrow and that kind of thing, you don't get much better than when you start do you so you've got to get that combat down and enemy patterns and how to attack and how to defend and yeah just i remember as as a younger person just really struggling as soon as i got into the dark world and i think that's probably why i gave up on it back then the reason i gave up on it more recently was because i just got lost and i couldn't figure out where i needed to go and i spent about two hours walking around the map and then just gave up in the end
1: yeah it is while you while you are right in the fact that it does give you exposition for the story and a sort of vague it's over in that corner. It's a bit like um Link's Awakening in terms of it'll say it'll pop up on your map and go, you need to go over there. There you go. Brilliant. Um how exactly do I get there, game? And it's kind. Of, it's really bad at exposition in terms of what you need to do next. And I'm assuming that is cartridge limitations and you know, if you add in certain amounts of expository dialogue, you're going to have to cut off a dungeon or two to make room for it. Yeah. But yeah, um, I think even the last boss, I went into the last boss first time I played it through, and I must have spent about two hours in there trying to kill the final boss, because it doesn't tell you that you need the golden ar- the, the light arrows. To defeat the boss, it, you can just be sat in there hacking away, and it'll make the little whirring noise when you hit the enemy that it makes when you're doing damage to it. But at no point does it die; it just keeps going and going and going. And you need to actually, and the light arrows aren't given to you; you have to go and get them. Uh, that on a like a little side questy sort of thing. So you can trot right off to the last boss if you want; you won't be able to beat him. And that, that was the sort of thing that pissed me off with it. I mean, I love the game's bits. I think it was the first Zelda game I played, to be fair, well before Ocarina, because I didn't play the other two originally. Probably was
0: for me as well. It was either that or Awakening. I've got a vague memory of playing Link's Awakening yeah. on a Game Boy that wasn't mine. Because I remember seeing like Chain Chomp and Yoshi and stuff in it and thinking, oh, this, this is a Mario game. So my knowledge of Zelda then obviously wasn't particularly strong otherwise I would have realized that wasn't the case so yeah I think awakening was probably first for me but this would definitely have been second and then ocarina would have been third and yeah like you say it it gives you a little cross on the map and says go here but some of them you can't physically get to like you'll go to you'll be walking towards where you need to go and it'll just be blocked by a mountainside or there'll be some trees that you can't actually hack through yet or holes in the floor that you can't get across. And you either have to go somewhere else and find something so you can get across the obstacle, or you have to transition into either the light realm or the dark realm, bypass the obstacle, and then switch back to get to where you need to go. And I can't remember. I think it was the bottom left corner of the map that I needed to get to. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get to where this cross was. And I just gave up, and I'll probably go back to it at some point because it wasn't that long ago that I gave up on it. I, d- I do really enjoy it, like you say. The art style looks great. the The controls are really slick. If if you get hit by an enemy, it's your fault. You have got hit by an enemy. It's never cheap, and it's never that the controls aren't responsive enough. It's just that you need to learn the pattern or figure out what item you need, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's a it it makes it unnecessarily tricky. I think is the is the issue, and like you said, with the light arrows thing it wouldn't have been difficult to have an npc somewhere on the way to the final boss even if it's in the dungeon and and it didn't even have to literally go you need the light arrows it could have been something cryptic enough like you won't be able to overcome darkness without finding light first or do you know something like that that yeah in with the zelda lore and how they speak and everything but just enough to make you think well maybe that's why i can't beat this boss so it's stuff like that 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 lets it down for me and it's only a minor thing i'm not gonna say the game's terrible because of it and and games back then as well you've got to remember were a lot more you figure out what to do than they are now a lot of games these days are very handholdy and you get full-length tutorials and and little guides and oh can i have a hint buttons and all stuff like that whereas back then it was here you go figure it out yourself and that was sometimes quite a lot of fun. It crosses over in certain games for me, like the original Zelda, where you have to just randomly burn a tree and you don't know which tree and no one tells you which tree. And that for me is going a bit too far. You should There should be something in the game that points you in the direction of what you need to do. And that is missing a bit from quite a few Zelda games as well, to be fair. The 3D ones, not so much, but definitely the early ones. The Link's Awakening, like you say, is the same it will not hold your hand and go, right, go over there, do this. And figuring out how to get over there is, again, your big issue with it. So a couple of marks off for that. But, yeah, all, all in all, it is a really fun game. And it, like you said, was the building block for a lot more games that have come out. You've got Minish Cap, Four Swords. Link's Awakening was after this, I think, was it? Yeah. So Link's Awakening obviously borrowed heavily from this, even though I think it was a different developer.
1: Yes, I think it was.
0: Cuz you can tell the difference in Link's awakening, can't you? Even though it's the same series of games. You play both of them and you can tell that it's it's not the same people I don't think that have put it together. But there's a lot of games that did come from this, like I said, Four Swords Minish Cap, those two uh, Oracle of Ages and the other one that I always forget the name of, Seasons. <laughs> they all they all stem from this, A Link Between Worlds which as we've said was a full-on sequel to this where instead of going into a different realm you can turn into a painting and you can go along walls and creep round ledges and go through cracks and that one I really enjoyed A Link Between Worlds but it only took me about a day to beat it maybe two days and I remember selling it for more than I'd bought it for because I'd done everything so I, I didn't keep it in the end because normally I'll keep games forever because either they go up in value or I think I might want to play them again. But that's one of the very few that, because I'd finished it so quickly and people were struggling to get hold of it, I just chucked it straight up on eBay and I got more than I'd actually paid for it and I got to enjoy the full game. So it was a bit of a double win on that one.
1: I think the... um. The thing with A Link to the Past is it's very structured. Despite the fact that it doesn't give you a bloody clue where to go, it is you have to go here, then you need to do this, then you need to go to this dungeon, then you need to do this, then you need to do this, and then you progress naturally through the story. The problem with A Link uh, Between Worlds was you could do the dungeons in any order, and Mm. you could just go and you could trade in whatever item that you'd got because it was like one item slot wasn't it you could get hookshot or you could trade in
0: is it like a salesperson yeah yeah that that rings a bell
1: and a bit similar to breath of the wild and stuff like that it sort of takes the difficulty curve and just snaps it over its knee because it's like you can't (laughs) have a natural difficulty curve if it's not structured because you have to make everything equal because if someone wants to go right i can see this thing right over in the distance i am going there first you can't make that Like, say, for example, level 90, when you're level one, you have to have everything slowly or sort of on the same plane of it's just going to be this level of difficulty. Because you don't learn either.
0: No, when when you can't predict what the player is going to do, you have to make it, like you say, a level playing field, don't you? So if if you decide, oh, I'm going to take the hook shot and go and do dungeon six or whatever it was, and I go, I'm going to take the boomerang and do dungeon one, your experience has to be as easy as my experience because it's the first dungeon you've gone to. And I can see both sides. I appreciate the openness and that you could play through it six times and do it six different ways. But I also don't like that lack of structure because I feel like I'm not making enough progression. And by the time I get to the sixth one and it's as easy as the first one, I don't it starts to bore me because I'm not getting challenged as I'm moving on and also I don't feel like when I play a Zelda game and I unlock the hookshot I feel like I've made genuine progress or I unlock the Pegasus boots and I think right I've unlocked another thing in the quest to the end of the game and where can I use this that I've already been. Where can I go back? And the hookshot might work. In that, you don't get that because you can go and get the hookshot straight away and go to all these places if you really want to. And from what I remember with you saying that, I don't think because you can only take one item, each dungeon's got a gimmick around that item. So you don't get a dungeon where it might be you need the Pegasus boots to run over this gap, and then you need the hookshot to get over this bit, and you need the iron glove, uh, the iron bracelet to pick this rock up. You get a dungeon where it's hookshot everything. Then you get a dungeon where it's boomerang everything. And it just, yeah, I don't like that as much. I'd much rather have this level of progression where my inventory fills up and fills up and I can think, what can I do with these items that I couldn't do before?
1: Yeah, it's sort of like you develop alongside the character. So in traditional Zelda games like Ocarina and things like that and structured ones, you do sort of get that initial... It's sort of like a tutorial in the dungeon itself where you get given these scenarios to do with the item you've just acquired. And it may be that with the hookshot, for example, you can hookshot a pot and it'll latch on and it will pull you across a gap. But you may not need to use that for the rest of that dungeon. But then you get further on and you get to, say, dungeon 10. And there is a section where you get in and you go... Jesus Christ! How do I get past this? And then you go, it's because I can hook shot that pot over there. Or I can hook shot that thing over there, and it'll pull me across the gap. Whereas in a link between worlds, like you say, everything is hook shot. This hook shot over there. Hook shot onto that chest. Hook shot that enemy in the face, and then you never use it again at all. And it's just like I'm not making pro. It's just like being given separate separate jobs in different warehouses. So this is your job today in this warehouse. You have got a forklift to complete your task. Right, okay, fair enough. I'm in this warehouse now. You've got no equipment at all. Right, okay, in that case, I'm going to have to use my hands. And then, oh, you're in this warehouse now today, and now you're going to have to do it using this piece of equipment, but you've got no other pieces of equipment. And it just becomes very, you bore of it very quickly. Whereas if you've got all the tools at your disposal, you learn and you adapt, and you adapt fighting styles as well, particularly in stuff like Ocarina, you try different things on different enemies. So if you've got like ice arrows, fire arrows, light arrows, you will try every single one of those against each enemy to see what it does, see whether it kills it quicker, see whether you get different loot off the bodies when they explode. Um, whereas this, is just like, oh, you can kill this enemy in this dungeon with the arrow, and in this dungeon, it's the boomerang, and that is that is the extent of your experimentation.
0: Yeah, it lost mechanics as well, didn't it? Because the boomerang is usually used to stun things. Whereas you didn't get that in the other dungeons anymore. You couldn't stun things. So you either had to use whatever item it was demanding you use or just sword and shield. And I think that is a big part of it. Like you say, it took a lot away from it because the other bit of it, I don't, I think I've just mentioned it, but to elaborate on it more is you might be going through a dungeon in one of the earlier Zeldas. It doesn't happen often. It happens more, I think, in in the 3D ones, but you might be going through a dungeon or a particular place in the game. And you'll see something that you can't access and you'll try. You'll try everything you've got to get to this item and it won't work. And you'll end up getting frustrated and giving up. And then you'll get another item later in the game and go, oh, hold on. And then you go back to it. And the the example you gave was the hookshot. I can hookshot over to it now and get what's in that chest. And it might be a heart piece or uh, something that's useful later in the game or a load of rupees that you might need or... And it's usually superfluous that you can do without, but it rewards players for remembering there's something in that area that I can't get yet and I'm going to have to figure out how to get it when I come back. And by taking that mechanic of you can fill your whole inventory up with these items away, it just killed that dead. I think there's a reason they've not gone back to that idea since. I mean, they've not done a 2D one since, have they, I don't think, apart from the remake of Awakening. Yeah. But if they do, or if and when they do, I cannot imagine that's the route they're going to go, where they have this vendor that just loans you items of whatever you need every so often. It, it was a good game in in spite of that fact. Uh, I still enjoyed playing it. It still looked great. It still had a lot of fun to be had in the merging into the wall and out-of-the-wall mechanic that it implemented, which sort of negated that use of all these items because a lot of the things you were looking for you had to figure out how to blend into the walls and get to it. And I think there's one bit where you climb in a circular tower, isn't there? And you have to keep flipping from on foot to in the wall to get past gaps and, and things like that. So it, it was a good game. I don't think it surpassed the original. Some sequels do, but this one just felt like a watered-down version of it with a, a little bit of a different plot point. And a really, really unmemorable boss. I can't even remember what what the... It was a a female boss, wasn't it, who
1: yeah. turned
0: you into this painting, and I cannot remember a single thing about her other than she turns you into a painting as a well, punishment, <laughs> and then it ends up being the reason that you can do everything.
1: Yeah, um, so she's essentially a... I mean, the jiggle physics are from Nintendo <laughs> in that game, considering it's a 3DS game, is shameful, to be quite frank with you. <laughs> but yeah, like you say, it's a female um, antagonist, and I think the first time you go to her castle to challenge her, it's quite early on in the game, really, and you walk in and she's she's basically a fangirl because you walk in and the entire room is just plastered in posters of Link, obviously <laughs> on the back of his success in, um, in A Link to the Past. But yeah, your face is just everywhere and it's just like, Oh well, this is weird. <laughs> it's just it's just a bizarre reason for her to want to take over the world. That it is because she it's partially because she has a crush on you, and it's like oh, this is odd. So yeah, let's get back to what we should be talking about. A link to the past. <laughs>
0: There's not loads to say about it in terms of what we can actually say, is there? I mean, it's a great game and it's a long game as well. I think is like I said about a link between worlds. I got that finished in like a day and a half. This is a good, solid, what, would eight or ten hours at least if you yeah. know exactly what you're doing and you go through all the beats, like, perfectly. But you can spend days just wandering around the map looking for secrets, because there's a lot of stuff to collect as well, isn't there? Is it? It's not... No, this one's not the shells, is it? That's Awakening, where you collect the shells. Is there something in this where you can collect things and cash them in? Or have they not got to that yet?
1: No, they've not got to that point of tedious repetition um at this point it was but there were loads of little things that you could discover so um it also this game sort of sets up the rest of the zelda mythos really because you get locations like death mountain you get the lost woods and stuff like that and all different locations and even the skull kid makes an appearance Just not the skull kid that we know from Ocarina and Majora, Mm. Um, and yeah, you can learn little ocarina songs that some. I think one summons a chicken to fly you to places, which is the equivalent (laughs) of quick travel. Yeah, there's loads of little things you can do in and around. I think there's a haunted village where you um, you can break the curse on the village. Um, You can like get into a house that's haunted apparently and you can move a pot and it dehaunts the house and yeah there's loads of little things where you uh, because there's a shed load of heart pieces out in the world that you can go and find and pick up trees and pick up boulders and fall through the floor and you'll find yourself in a little underwater cave sort of thing but yeah there's loads of little asides and there are i think there are several items that you don't get through natural progression a bit like the light arrows that you can acquire elsewhere if you do these little asides while you're going through the game.
0: I think a lot of what was in one and two got repeated in this one, but better and more fleshed out, didn't it? So like you said, this one establishes Death Mountain. There was Death Mountain technically in the second one, and I think even in the first one, I think the bit of the mountain in the first one where all the boulders are falling down on you is meant to be Death Mountain, but it's not really it doesn't have that name and it doesn't have that aura around it does it and then in the second one you get that a bit more because the 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 death mountain in two is the one where it's like a, a labyrinth and you have to keep going in and out of doors to get to the top of it but by the time you get to this one fully fleshed out environment same as the lost woods there's the bit in the original zelda where you have to go like up left up right Which is the basis for The Lost Woods, isn't it? But this is the one where there's stuff in it to interact with and it just feels more like a proper environment rather than a load of screens you have to progress through. So yeah, this is the one that seemed to pull it all together. And I don't hate 2. I know a lot of people really don't like 2 because it changed things completely. I quite like 2 once you get to grips with the control method and understand how that progression works. 2 is fine. But yeah, this one just blows it out of the water blows one and two out of the water as good a games as they were and borrows a lot heavily from them but you almost were looking at a new audience of players weren't you by the time you get to the super nintendo so most people either didn't notice or didn't mind or just appreciated the callbacks to the the previous games anyway so it is that perfect 2d zelda experience i'd go as far as to say the games that have come after it are good I don't think any are the 2D Zelda experience that this is not not quite as good.
1: No, nothing has surpassed it in terms of 2D Zelda since. Um I'd even go as far as say the isometric ones. So it basically still 2D but um including the remake of the Link uh, Link's Awakening nothing has quite reached this peak of how well crafted the entire game was and it's it's sort of a testament to how influential the game was is how well certain bits of it are remembered by the gaming public really it's reached a certain status where it's in memes it gets referenced in videos there's little nods to it in cinema and stuff like that it is very heavily referenced and I don't think you'd have got it to that level if it had been any other game without this, really. There's that
0: weird room in this one, isn't there, that's just full of rupees that you can find. And it's got that guy's name on a plaque and he'd won like a competition to be in a, a Nintendo game. And that this is where they put him, which I think if I'd won a competition to be in a Nintendo game, and the thing that I got to be in was it was a room, not even a sprite, just a plaque on the wall that said my name with a load of rupees. I'd be a bit annoyed. Like, you'd at least expect to be rendered into a sprite, wouldn't you, that you could be talked to or something. So a bit bit upsetting. I mean, they could have put his little sprite in that room and, and had him say what the plaque says. It's very strange that that's how, one, that there was a competition where you could be immortalized in a game forever. Because I don't recall many times that's happened over the years especially not with such a mainstream company as Nintendo and a mainstream game like Zelda. And then two, to implement it in such a bizarre way that doesn't really benefit anyone other than you find a load of rupees and probably confuse the hell out of a load of kids in the 90s because they have no idea who this person is. It's not like now where you can just type the name into Google and it goes, oh, this is a person who won a competition. Back then, you'd have literally no idea unless you read, I think Nintendo Power probably explained what it was. But other than that, loads of kids are just going, who's this person? Is is he Is he like in the game? Is it a character in the game that I'm meant to go and find? What's going on? <laughs> so a really weird choice. The only other time I can remember that even sort of happening was Micro Machines 2. And do you remember Violet Berlin, the TV presenter? She was on yeah. a... There was an ITV program that was all about video games it was quite before its time, really. It didn't last very long. She was a presenter on that and she went to see the development of Micro Machines and they made her into a character and put her in the game. So Micro Machines 2, I think it is, is a character called Violet and that's meant to be Violet Boleyn, who was quite a popular TV presenter at the time. And that's the only other time I can think of anything remotely close to this happening. I mean, these days you can make yourself and put yourself into a game. But it's not like the developers are actually putting you in there and naming you and, and all that business. It's just, it's a real unique thing, I think, for this game, as far as I can remember.
1: Yeah, with you saying that, I, weirdly enough, I saw a news article earlier in the week, and there is an example of this in Starfield.
0: Yeah, the guy's letter. Yeah, yeah, I've seen this.
1: Yeah, there's, so there's sort of like a little, so there's a little broadcast, essentially, or you like find a, is it like a derelict ship? yeah 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 um and there's a there's a note in it, and basically one of the um fans who'd been waiting for this for years was terminally ill, bless him. Um, and he was on like forums, getting excited about it on but like Bethesda forums and things like that. and then they delayed the game from back end of last year. To well last month and unfortunately he passed away in the time frame and he was always going on about how he was looking forward to playing it how he was really looking forward to another bethesda rpg um, and they put him as having left that note and it's something along the lines of thank you to all my supporters i'll be um i'll be seeing you among the stars or something like that it's quite a nice message
0: it's something when he realized he wasn't going to get to play it he posted it on the forums so it is something along the lines of I hope, I really hope you all enjoy playing it yeah and see you amongst the stars or something like that, and again that is something that if you find that in that game, with his name attached to it, unless you Google it straight away, you're probably thinking is this somebody in the game that I've just not appreciated not heard the name or not a- linking it together, but yeah that is a really it's a really touching thing for Bethesda to do, uh, in Starfield to to go to that length for a fan who unfortunately didn't get to play it and and yeah it was a it's quite an emotional one when i first watched that video and i saw it i was like oh i need to go and find that now and when when the video first started i was like oh don't tell me they've put him in as like an npc and and it's somebody that you can attack and cuz that would be horrible to to put that in there <laughs> but yeah the way they've done it is so tasteful and so nice to to be able to do that and makes a lot more sense than Michael, I think he was called, 's room full of blue rupees in, in Zelda.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, it does happen very rarely then, I suppose, but it just it seemed like such a bizarre inclusion. I remember finding that room when I was younger and thinking, what the hell is this all about? I mean, I'll take the rupees, but I don't know what's going on. But, yeah, that that is the nature of Zelda, I suppose. A lot of things in Zelda are confusing, aren't they? Like in Zelda <laughs> 1 where you blow open a door and you think you've found a treasure and they go, oh, you've just ruined my door, pay me 50 rupees... And it's it's always had that level of humour in it that that you don't often get from straight-laced Nintendo games, I suppose. And much like the hand in the toilet that we've mentioned a million times, another great example yeah. of a weird, humorous thing that they've put in there. There's not as much of that in Link to the Past, is there? It does take itself relatively seriously. Yeah. The amount of emotion they get out of Link's sprite I think he's brilliant because his face changes and all sorts, doesn't it? I, mean, I know we said in Wind Waker they really put that effort into, like if a boss is coming at you, he'll look puzzled or he'll look shocked and stuff. But in this one, you get a bit of that. If there's like the beads of sweat, isn't there, when he's he's like exerting himself and when he's getting charged up and stuff, you'll see the little emotion on his face. And yeah, I think it's, it's a, like you said, A lot of games from this period don't hold up amazingly. Some do. A lot don't. I mean, it's not like PlayStation 1 where I'd say none of them hold up amazingly. But this game looks fantastic. And if they released this game today, you'd think it was just, yeah, that's a great art style that they've used and it looks perfectly acceptable in this day and age. So you've got to give them credit for that as well to be able to get that out of an SNES. And I think it uses does it use a fair bit of mode 7 like when you fall down holes and stuff it'll make link go bigger won't it and shrink and, and then fall yeah. into the hole and stuff like that so they were really using everything at the disposal to make this look as good as it possibly could and i think they really did achieve it
1: uh, i mean it is testament to that fact that it has been ported to pretty much every nintendo console they've released since i think the only one that managed to is- getaway unscathed was the n64 yeah Um, i don't think they ported it to that but they ported it to game boy advance ds switch wii wii u it's been on every single virtual console and it's usually the first game on the virtual console every time they open the shop on a new console generation it's like oh link to the past is available again thanks nintendo (laughs) it's been well ported anyway
0: almost as much as skyrim it's, it's up there but yeah but it's about
1: 20 years younger
0: <laughs> that's that's a link to the past so let's let's give it a score and then we we can talk about a few other things before we we call it a day on this episode including that big surprise that i've got freddie <laughs> so where are we putting it i mean i'd say at the very minimum high 80s
1: I was going to say low nineties because I would happily play this again and again and again.
0: It's a game that
1: you, it would be one of those sort of like one of those films that you like once a year, like Mm. nightmare before Christmas at Christmas, watch it once a year, die hard, that sort of thing. There are certain films and certain books that people read or watch once a year come what may, this is one of those games that, granted, I'd have to dig out either the version on the Switch, or I'd have to dig out my Game Boy Advance or something like that, but I would happily go back and I would play this game once a year, spend eight hours on it, and then just be like, remember that, still a good game, and then walk off and be fine for, the, for another year.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, again, testament to the game, you could do that. I have watched multiple randomizer playthroughs of this game on youtube while i've been doing other stuff uh, and had it on in the background and i don't get bored of watching it because everyone's just different enough that it's it's worth like somebody might not get the boomerang until the last dungeon or something like that because it's completely randomized and i still enjoy watching those even though i've seen them a million times and i know the game potentially beat for beat i mean that's probably why i can't figure out where i need to go because i keep watching randomizers that do it in completely different order Uh, i need to watch an actual straight up playthrough to figure it out but yeah it is a great game and like you say some games you can only play once some games you can play maybe once a decade and enjoy this is one that if you played it each year you wouldn't get bored of it because it looks fantastic it controls brilliantly it's fun to play it doesn't rely so heavily on storyline that you get fed up of seeing the storyline. It's pretty much all action. You're thrown straight into it, aren't you? And then it's, right, go and hack these people to bits, go and do these dungeons, etc. So there's not a lot of downtime in it either, I think, which plays to its strengths. You get a lot of action and you're constantly on the go. So yeah, I would be, what do you think,
1: 92? 92 be fair? 92 would be fair. Because I think to your point as well that because it doesn't hold your hand and there are bits of it that are a little bit obtuse, you would get to the following year and be like, Jesus Christ, what do I have to do here? <laughs> yes. And then eventually it would twig, and be like, oh, for God's sake, yeah, of course it is. And you do that at different intervals. So I don't think you'd ever be like, I know this game at like the back. Not unless you played it like every day of your life sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. It would always yeah. be that, oh, of course you pillar. That's what you're supposed to do here. And then you'd remember to do it. So it would be... It wouldn't be an easy game no, if you did no, that. Exactly.
0: So yeah, we'd recommend this one. Go out and grab yourself a copy. I mean, if you're the one person out there that's never played it before, go and treat yourself to a copy and, and give it a go. Because like Eddie says, they've released it for pretty much everything. They've not really changed it on anything, have they? I don't think. They just keep releasing exactly the same version. But it, it holds up so well they don't need to. Is it on the Switch,
1: the annual pass thing? Yeah, it was one of the first ones they released. <laughs>
0: So if you get the switch annual, if you've got a switch, get the annual pass. You can play it to your heart's content. It's on there, and I think is it one of the ones that's got one of those weird because on the I noticed on the virtual console thing when when you get all those games for free, there's two versions of a lot of games, and if you play the sort of newer version at the top of the list, everything's unlocked when you start. Oh, they're like super versions, and it essentially just gives you everything. It's like a finished completed version of the game and i don't know if zelda's one of those but there are there are a couple on there where basically everything's just unlocked from the start and you don't need to worry about doing any of the game which is a really weird thing to do but they've done it oh okay i I hadn't actually seen that as something um i can't remember the terminology it used but they've got a little crest on them like a little rosette, and it says something in the rosette, and that like in- intimates that it's a completed version of the game that you don't have to put any effort into.
1: Ah, uh, I know that they've introdu- implemented a rewind feature on yeah. it, and it not you can rewind it a certain number of frames because obviously games back then were a lot more challenging, not so much reflex tests as they are now with sort of Dark Souls, but you mm. do get to a point in particular in like A Link to the Past, some dungeons and some boss layouts where you've got like things whizzing all over the screen, the floor changes directions, (laughs) and you've got a boss flapping away in the middle of the room launching laser beams at you, where you die quite quickly. But this allows you to click back X amount of frames and sort of restart the battle without having to die, go to the dungeon entrance and then try and work your way back to the boss which is a nice feature really it's quite it's quite a good thing
0: yeah especially in older games where it can be difficult to judge distance when jumping like the mario games and stuff if you misjudge a jump and it right at the end of the level and you die you can just click it back a couple and redo the jump which i mean it is i suppose it is cheating but who's gonna know and it's it just if it saves you like a two minutes of your life and you still feel accomplished by finishing the game, then what harm is it doing? There's no achievements on Switches, so it doesn't make a difference, really. It's not like you can brag yeah. about it.
1: And it's only like save scumming in like Baldur's yeah. Gate and stuff like that when your team mm. gets wiped out. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ, reload save. <laughs>
0: yeah. Or in uh, Starfield, where you... Well, let's do the Starfield talk now, shall we? Seeing as we've, we've had it for the past couple of episodes. So I'm still cracking on with it, still enjoying it. I did exploit a couple of the glitches, but they've now annoyingly patched them out so i used one to get a load of ammo because ammo in that game is very difficult to come by for a lot of the weapons and there was a glitch where you could in one of the towns if you focus on a puddle you can see the shop's inventory and just loot it so you can take all the credits all the ammo all the all all the stuff they had in stock essentially for free go and wait 24 hours come back and do it all over again So I did that a few times just to build up a load of ammo. But there was a glitch in it where you could clip through the the edge of the environment. Because without getting too technical, the way that Starfield... And I think Fallout and Skyrim did this as well. If you go into a shop in one of those games, because there's a pickpocket mechanic, if the storekeeper had all his stock about his person and you were good enough at pickpocketing, you could sneak round the back of him, pick his pocket, and just steal his whole inventory, which they don't want you doing. So the way Bethesda decided to get around this, which is mental, instead of just putting a block on these items from being pickpocketed, they implemented it so that somewhere near the shop, there's a chest hidden under the floor that has the shopkeeper's inventory in it. So the only way to steal stuff from the shop is to steal it from that chest, and normally you can't get under the floor to, to get to the chest so you can't steal it. Whereas on Starfield, before they patched it last week, the ones where you go and look in the puddle, because the floor is uneven and the puddles are lower than the rest of the floor, you can look through the floor to where the chests are and loot them. So that made it very easy in that town because the floor is all muddy. But in the ones where it's a normal floor, there are certain places where you can clip through the edge of the stage Drop under the floor, and then it's sort of like your head is just under street level, so you can just see your hair like a shark going along the (laughs) the the floor, and you can see all these chests scattered under the shops. So you can just go up to them and open them and take all the credits. And one of them's got like (laughs) seventy-one thousand credits in it, so you can go and take that, do a a twenty-four hour cycle, speak to the shop owner, clip through the wall, go back another seventy-one credits, and just rinse and repeat until you've got all the money in the world. So they've patched that out, unfortunately. So I I managed to get a bit of ammo before they did. Uh, So if you've not done it already, unlucky. uh, Your only option really is if you've got a disc version of the game to completely come offline, reinstall the game, and hope that it doesn't corrupt your save file if you've got one or start again. But yeah, I suppose you could technically get a disc version. Don't go online. Install it. Do as many cycles as you can to get all the loot and then connect to the internet and, and do it that way so there is still ways to do it but yeah i'm enjoying it it's fun the some of the missions are very very simple and then some of them are a pain in the arse and take absolutely forever but i'm still enjoying it and I've like i say now i'm kitted out with all the the weaponry and and all that business i'm i'm good to go but i can't remember what starfield point it was that brought us onto this what were we talking about just before uh just before I so I was like, oh, we might as well do Starfield now. And I can't remember what we actually said that got us into this. So whatever that was, if you were waiting to hear us talk about it, sorry. But we've completely forgot what it was now. <laughs> Maybe if we listen to this back, we will talk about it in the next episode, whatever it was. But Starfield is, is fantastic. And I'm still really enjoying it. Apart from the fact they've they've stopped me cheating now, which is a bit annoying. I don't think I've got anything else to say on it at the minute. It is just genuinely quite. I still, again, don't think it tops Skyrim and Fallout for me. It just, I'm not as invested as I was in them. I don't know for what reason, but it's it's such an ambitious game. And so far, Touchwood, I've not experienced any glitches. I don't think, apart from the ones that I exploited. So yeah, it's it's not going too bad. I know some people have probably had all sorts of issues, but for me personally, it's been. It's been fine. I think one of my friends had a couple of issues where quests won't trigger. I think there's one in the sheriff's missions where he says, are you ready to go? And if you say yes, he doesn't move. Whereas if you say, no, hold on, I need to go and do something else, then come back and talk to him again, then it works. So there's little bugs like that. And I think he said he had to restart it and lose about 20 minutes progress, but there was a workaround to it. So yeah, it's it's not been too bad for Bethesda, I don't think. They've actually... Uh, this one's gone quite well, and I I do wonder if that's because they've had more time to just focus it on one architecture because they've not had to develop it for two different platforms. Whether the fact they've only had to do it for, an inter- uh, for Microsoft's systems means that they've been able to get a lot more of the bugs out of it and make it a bit more of a smoother process.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Fallout 76 has probably had quite a heavy influence because that was glitchy as hell and every single time they patched something or sent an update through it nearly knackered the game that i think there was a bit where they patched it about six to eight months in and it if you'd put anything into storage it emptied your storage box (laughs) like literally just deleted everything out of it so i think they've had to take some very fast very serious learnings from their dalliance with like an mmo mm. fallout game and i think they've learned hard plus they're owned by microsoft themselves now aren't they so they've obviously yeah, yeah. got i want to say higher standards but then you look at Microsoft's sort of offerings <laughs> in terms of office packages and like windows xp and things like that that were updating once a month for 4 years yeah it's a bit <laughs> iffy as to whether they've had any sort of influence at all really
0: i suppose they've got potentially more support now because it's a yeah. microsoft console they've they might have people added to their team that that know the architecture of the system a lot better and can tell them where things are going wrong so i think that might play a big part because I assume when you're developing a game that's going to be on PlayStation and Xbox, you have to develop the game twice, essentially, or at least develop it once and then modify it to fit in with how that console works, which must take up so much time that only having to go, right, it's for Xbox and PC, which are essentially the same thing. So we know how we're building this game. So I don't know if that did play into it, but it feels to me like it would have done. But... Yeah, Speaking of cross-platform games, I know a couple of people have asked me for my opinion on this year's not FIFA, because they're not allowed to call it FIFA anymore because they stopped paying for the licence, which I think was a smart move, because they were paying an absolute fortune for the the FIFA name, and it's not had any impact, really, other than it being called FC24 instead of FIFA24. And most people are calling it FIFA24 anyway. So until FIFA put their own game out, it's still going to be referred to it as that. I got it last week uh, because I'm, I'm writing a review on it for a website. And in previous years, I've really defended FIFA games because the criticism that's always leveled at them is the obvious. Oh, it's just last year's game with a, an updated lineup and a little bit of a fresh coat of paint on the menus and new music. And you're paying 50 quid to play what you had last year just with different slightly different teams and all this and i've always stuck up for it and said oh no if you play it it feels different it either feels a bit faster or they've slowed it down or the shooting's changed or there's more nuance to the crossing or you know what i mean there's always it might not be big things but it always previously felt different to me if i played 22 uh, 21 to 22 for example i could tell that i was playing a different game i knew that it felt different this year it feels no different whatsoever I couldn't tell you if you took all the the hood off it and just gave me consoles with one playing FIFA 23 and one playing EA FC 24 I don't think I'd be able to tell you which one was which because they feel exactly the same to control to the point where I'm normally I lose my first couple of games trying to get to grips with the controller I think I won my first game like 12-0 and had to turn the difficulty up Because it is just so similar to the previous game. It is unbelievable. And they've made changes outside of the gameplay. So the career mode, which is where I I usually play career and ultimate team. Career mode, they've sort of changed it a little bit, but not much. So now you have to hire trainers to train your players up. So you have to hire the best trainer for the best position. So some of them will be really good at defending and not good at attacking. And you have to put them in your club structure to help your players develop now it's nice but for me if I wanted to play that level of detail in a football game I'd play football manager I'd, that's not what I play FIFA for and I'd do it and I've done it and it's not too intrusive on the game so it's not too bad but I feel like they going towards this the career mode in it is going to be like football manager soon and the actual playing of the games is secondary to all the other parts of managing a club which is fair enough if you want to do that, but then it'd also be nice to have a mode where you didn't have to worry about all that stuff and just played through it like the old games, I suppose, or if you were able to turn it off and on and stuff, it'd be nice. It's sort of what I want from a game Uh, until I actually have to do it, and then I'm like, oh, there's so much admin in it, I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm a bit hypocritical because that is the direction I'd like to see it go, but more towards, like, I'd like to be able to improve my stadium with money that I've raised or set ticket prices that, do you know, that kind of level of management rather than hiring coaches and managing training matches and all that, that stuff. One of the weird things they've done, which I, I don't know why they've done it. You used to be able to start a match, go to a match. And as you were starting it, there'd be like a tactics menu and you could go in and change your players out and pick your team for that game. They've got rid of that. So now you have to go into the squad hub, which is a completely different screen pick your team for the next game, then start the next game, and then go through all the menus to get. And it just makes no sense why they back that out further because previously, if you made a change to your squad at the start of this game, that would only last for that game and then it would revert back to your default squad and then you could change it at the start of next game. Changing it in the squad hub changes it permanently, so you're constantly having to go in. If you've got an injured player... You have to go in every game, like move him out, and then remember when he's fit again. Oh, move him back in. Whereas before, it just used to be each game, oh, he's not fit yet. Just sub somebody else in for now. And it it seems like a bizarre... I think they'll patch that in because I know nearly everyone goes on that screen before they start a game. And now it just isn't there, unless it's incredibly well hidden and I can't find it. But I've tried pretty much everything. I even clicked one button, and it started some sort of simulation of the game that I didn't even know existed, and I just had to watch it like I was watching an actual football game. So, yeah, some strange choices there. Ultimate Team, the big criticism people have got with it this year is that they've included women in the Ultimate Team, and <laughs> I can see both sides because, yes, it's women should be included in it, but it's strange because then you end up playing games where it's a mixed team so you have men because you put your best team out essentially so if you've got a female striker and a male striker that are both better than everyone else in your team you put them in the same team but then you get in games where you've got women playing against men and i assume they've balanced the skills so that a 90 a 90 rated man and a 90 rated woman are the same So it's not like the men are just going to barge her off the ball. If her strength stat is 80, the same as a man, she'll be able to go shoulder to shoulder, that kind of thing. So I think they've done it like that. But the reason people are really upset about it is because of the way Ultimate Team works and you open packs. If you open a pack and it's like French, Striker, PSG, people just go, oh, it's going to be Mbappe, one of the best cards in the game. And then it brings up like this woman who plays for the PSG women's team that's also French, <laughs> and then they're absolutely raging because she's like a seventy odd and he's like a ninety something. So I can sort of see why they're upset about that. I I would have done it where you get packs that the some packs have men in and some packs have women in, and if you want to go for the women's players, you pick that, and if you want to go for the men, but that's not how it is on there at the minute. It's all mixed packs, so you get one and the other. And from the packs I've opened, I don't want to suggest that FIFA are doing, well, not FIFA, EA are doing this to be inclusive and push diversity. But all the packs I've opened so far have been heavily weighted towards women's players more than men's players. And I've got far more female players in my squad than men when you consider how many male players, professional footballers there are and how many female professional footballers there are in the game the ratio even at 50 50 shouldn't be 50 50 because there's tons more men in it than there are women but at the minute i seem to be getting more women than men so i don't know if that's a conscious choice by ea or whether it is just pure coincidence with the few packs that i've opened but yeah it's it's not gone down well shall we say and I can see why they've done it. And I can, again, I can see both sides because it is frustrating when you think you've got a really good player and then it turns out that it's not a good player. So yeah, not not the greatest start for the game. Uh, but my my bigger issue is that it is just not enough of a change from last year's game to warrant the fact that I've paid like 70, 80 quid for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, a cynical person, probably me, um, would say that because they've added female players in, and obviously FIFA players being stereotypical and stuff like that will predominantly be male and watch male football on TV and want to emulate that. Adding the female players in with the male players then reduces your overall odds of getting that one male player that you want who is your favourite player from your male team, and it just is another way of squeezing you for a loot box. Yeah. And that would me being incredibly cynical so i don't think it's them pushing an envelope i think it's how much more money can we make out of this uh um, yeah. and yeah, dilute artificially dilute the odds of you pulling that messy for example yeah. uh, whereas you will get the you are more likely to get the female version with lower stats than you are to get that player so i that would be my cynical side of it and to come back on your point around how it doesn't feel any different I think we are in a position now with video gaming um, as uh, as an art form where companies are going to start struggling to do this, to just churn out the same old shit year in, year out. Like with Call of Duty, the Call of Duty freight train was one a year. Assassin's Creed was one a year where they just endlessly recycled the same architecture from the game and just spat out a new one with a different sort of coat of paint all zhuzhed up slightly and now they're getting to a point where they can't get away with it anymore because it feels there's nothing else they can ring wring out of it they can slightly they can give you some quality of life improvements not that the quality of life improvements they've given you seem to have done much for you by the sounds of this one but it is going to get to a point where they are going to have to put some serious work in to make people go yeah i do want to buy this year's FC 2025, or whatever. Yeah. Because it's, they're just, it is going to validate people's, well, it's the same shit every year.
0: I think you're right. And I think because last year's game seemed to get the formula down to an extent, if they changed anything in the gameplay this year, it would be changing it for the sake of changing it. It wouldn't be changing it to make it any better. It'd just be, and that's why I think they needed to do more to change things around it. So in the career mode, do more than just. I need to hire trainers because everything else feels exactly the same or near as damn it. So put more into changing the mode around it than the actual gameplay, maybe. But the the thing that baffles me the most, so one of the things they've put in this year is if somebody gets a card, it will cut to the referee's point of view, like a first person of him carding them. And you get to see him giving it the old, oh, I'm disappointed or it wasn't a card, blah, blah, blah. What baffles me is, so the biggest introduction in football in the last five or six years would be VAR. yeah, And it's still not in this game. And you would think, given that it's like video-assisted refereeing and this is a computer game, that would be the easiest thing in the world to implement. But for the last three years since it came in, they've not made any effort to put it in the game. So if there's an offside, it just shows the linesman raising the flag, gives an offside it could so easily put a little cutscene in where it shows the lines like it does on TV or even pro program it so that if you're offside, it doesn't give offside. You go through on goal score, which it does do in certain scenarios if you score quickly enough after an offside. So they've got the capability to do it, but just elongate it so if you're running through on goal and somebody plays a ball into you dribble it through bang hit it in the net you think you've scored oh we're doing a var check next thing it pops the lines up on the screen goal disallowed it feels so much like you're in the game they've made no effort whatsoever to incorporate that and i just don't get it because that's such a big change in football unless i've not seen it in this game because i haven't played that many matches but I have had a few offside calls where they could have implemented that and it didn't. So I'm I'm assuming they've not put it in. And that just seems like madness to me. I sort of understood it last year because it had only come in the season before and I thought, oh, maybe they need time to develop it. But now it should be in there, surely. It should be a standard in the game that this is how it works in real life. They've, they've strived for realism in every other aspect. Why is that not in it? And... I'm I'm wondering if, because most of the games I've played in the new one have been a lower league team where they wouldn't have VAR, so maybe I need to play a Premier League game or two just to see if it does, but as far as I'm aware, I've not seen anyone mention that this has been introduced in this game, and if it hasn't, that is absolute madness because that's, in, in a game where you're wanting it to look like a TV production, that is such an easy change to make, surely, to code in, and they've just not gone for it whatsoever, so... Yeah, that baffled me. But enough about FIFA because it's a, a bit of a broken record, and and I'm I am sad that I am now siding with the oh, it's the same game as last year. People, but genuinely, this one does not feel even announced different in the gameplay. So, if if you've got last year's game and you're not desperate for the new Ultimate Team or to to hire coaches in your career mode then I would say wait it out and let the price drop a bit, because it will do. It'll it'll go down by Christmas. This game won't be full price. So if you can wait, I would advise waiting and just get a few more few more months out of FIFA 23, would be my opinion. But I reckon we're just about to the point where we need to call it a day. So I'm going to keep Eddie in suspense just a little bit longer, and I'm going to do the Patreon shout-outs. So we would like to say thank you to, in the Couple of Coins tier, we've got Harry Flynn. In the Bucket Kickers tier, we've got the Sweaty Llama and Ric Flair. And I'd just like to say congratulations to Ric Flair in inverted quotes because his partner gave birth last week to a healthy baby boy and he is now a dad. So that was a a lovely thing to find out. And then in the Avatarnish tier, we've also got Atropos. So thank you for you guys. It means a lot and it actually does mean a lot more to us this month because the place that we choose to record has decided that we need to now start paying to use their service unless we want to migrate our podcast to them and pepper it full of their adverts. So we're not going to do that. We are going to bite the bullet and pay for the service instead. So yeah, every penny we get means even more to us now because we are currently running at a loss, whereas before we were just about break even. So if anybody else wants to jump on the Patreon bandwagon and help us out, it is patreon.com slash gamers. You get new content a month early on there. Uh, there's a new episode coming out very soon. I'm just in the process of editing it. Spoilers, I am absolutely full of cold when we recorded it, so I sound ridiculous. But there you go, and it's about Nintendo 64 games, so that was a fun one today. But yeah, we, and we're going to be recording some more content, I hope, after this, if we've not left it too late. So there'll be new episodes going up on there, I would say at least on a monthly basis, if not more often once we get into a bit more of a recording schedule. And with that out of the way, I don't suppose I can delay this any longer. Uh, so let me just get into it now. So Eddie's looking worried and he's probably got the right to be. So when we started this channel, the concept was we've got this magazine, which has become our, our Bible and our curse at the same time, which lists 100 games to play before you die. And we agreed we were going to go through every single game in it give a review of them all, give a rating to them all, and decide where we ranked them compared to the book. Now, I'd say we're getting fairly close to the end of it. I don't think we've got that many left. I think we're probably in, what, low teens, maybe, in terms
1: of games we've got left. If we combine them all like we have done where we've doubled up, we've only got about 17, 18 episodes left, I would say, because a lot of them will combine into one. But yeah, it's getting towards that time.
0: Don't jump the gun, young Eddie, because this magazine that we've got, there's two more of them. There's a Nintendo version, which I think we sort of knew about, but I assumed it was very similar, but it turns out it isn't. And there's also a PlayStation version as well. So, 200 more episodes before we get to talk about what we want to talk about. Ah, f- <laughs> and on that note I will say that is goodbye from me
1: <sighs> That's goodbye from me <laughs>